this episode, Ken Schumann and a group of faith walkers reflect on the topic of wholeness restored. This conversation was originally recorded in June of 2021. We want to remind you, Faith Walking's mission is to make wholeness possible for individuals, communities, and the world. Visit us at www.faithwalking.us. Join this conversation. All right, gang, today I'm, uh, I'm coming back to Bible study. Um, uh, this week I have, uh, I, I've been gripped by a biblical story uh, that just uh, won't, let, won't let me loose. And uh, so today I, I would like uh, for us to discuss it. Uh, it's a story found in Matthew 15. And it's verses 21 to 28. And I'm going to read it for you here in a minute out of the voice translation. And again, I, uh, I really enjoy the voice. I think it's a really solid translation. Uh, it was edited and done uh, by a group of, of, of people here, uh, primarily based in Houston, that, uh, that I know. And I just, uh, I think they do really good background work and, and, and background study. And it's, it, so, so here's the story. Um, so Jesus has been ministering in Galilee and, and it helps me to think about geography. So I just want to remind you, Jerusalem is kind of in the South Galilee and the sea of Galilee and the Galilean area is more to the North. And in between them is the, is the area called Samaria and that's where Jesus did the vast majority of all of his work. On this particular occasion, he's up in Galilee, and, uh, and you know what he does? He decides he needs a vacation. Uh, he needs a retreat. He needs to get away and pull away. And so he heads north from Galilee out of Israel. Uh, into a region that today would would either be Lebanon, the corner of Lebanon, or the corner of Syria, where those two nations kind of come together. It's on the Mediterranean Sea, and so Jesus goes up into he he. I mean, he he's got to take his passport with him because he he leaves his country and he goes to these places, and it says it's somewhere near. Sidon or Sidon and uh, and Tyre, um, and I think I yeah, and and it doesn't say exactly where he is. So I don't. It it doesn't say whether he's in a city or a community or if he's at somebody's house or if he and the disciples are just camped out on the on the beach, um, which which kind of sounds like they might be. Uh, that they're they're camped out on the beach and they're just there. And this woman, who was not a Samaritan and not a, a an Israelite, neither one of the two, she would be in that category that in the Bible constantly throws everybody in the big category of Gentile. But 
But in this particular story, she's called a Canaanite woman in Matthew. And so remember, Matthew was Jewish, and he wrote from a Jewish perspective, and he wrote primarily to a Jewish audience. And so him using the word Canaanite takes them all the way back to Moses, Joshua, and the taking of the promised land, and the big enemy was the Canaanites. And so what what the story and what Matthew does in the writing of it is he said, a woman descended from our very first enemies comes to Jesus. And so let me, let me read the story for you. Jesus left that place and he, and he withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. Now, by the way, those, those cities are somewhere between 40 and 70 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So it's a pretty good walk. And they're about 20 miles apart. So it sounds like, okay, he went to both, or he went to neither, or he went near them, but he went to the area of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman, a non-Jew, came to him. So let, I, I love to tell stories this way. Let me just stop there, if I could. And if you're reading, would you stop? So somehow this woman heard Jesus was in the area. So one of the things I think is really significant is when we're, when we're doing really good things and when wholeness is being restored, people hear about it and they just show up. So if we're in the business of wholeness restoration, which is what I believe the mission of God is, when we're in that business, people are going to hear about it and they're going to show up because Jesus is in a territory he's never been to before. Uh, how people knew who he was, or I mean, obviously word had spread. This woman heard about Jesus. She found Jesus and she came to where Jesus was. I think that's pretty significant. And when she gets there, she cries out, so she wasn't able to just walk right up to Jesus. She cries out from a distance, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is possessed by a demon. Her body is racked. Her mind is senseless. Have mercy, Lord. And here's what Jesus did. Nothing. He just sat there. I'm stunned by that. So here's a woman, shows up in a foreign land. So could you imagine being off on vacation somewhere where, where you've gone way far away and somebody hears you're there and they show up at wherever you're staying, uh, if you're in a campground or in a motel or a hotel or an Airbnb, and they show up outside the house and they start hollering. Hey, have mercy on me. I need help out here. And I just, I cannot fathom that Jesus did nothing. But that's what it says. Jesus said nothing and did nothing. And the woman continued to wail until finally the disciples got annoyed by it all. So in faith walking language group, here's what happened. The disciples got anxious and their anxiety boiled over and they overfunctioned for Jesus by going to Jesus and then and 
their, their need to control Jesus. So can you imagine the disciples want to control Jesus and they go and they tell him what to do. So out of their anxiety, they overfunctioned and, and they said, Jesus, would you please do something about this woman? She keeps crying out for help and she, and she's annoying us. Would you please go take care of her? And Jesus then makes this statement. I was sent here, or maybe another way to say it is, my mission is only to gather the lost sheep of Israel. So notice, Jesus says, my mission is really exclusive. And then the woman came up to Jesus, and she fell at, at his feet on her knees and knelt before him. In a, in a symbol of, I think, humility and also recognizing his authority. And she simply said, Lord, would you please help me? And then Jesus says something that I can't believe came out of the mouth of Jesus. Because Jesus says it's not right to waste the children's food feeding the dogs. Now, that just sounds so out of character with Jesus. It's not right to waste the children's food feeding the dogs. Now, if I'm the Canaanite woman, I'm packing it in right there. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Jesus just called me a dog? Or he, he said, I'm like a dog? Or he equated me to a dog? I, I'm packing it in. This woman didn't pack it in. She just kept right on coming. And here's what she said, and this was the tradition of the day. She said, well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table, table of their master. All I'm looking for is for, is, is, is for you to give me a few of your crumbs off the table. Now, if I may pause there, and if you're reading, pause with me for a moment, because here's where now that story takes me to another story that's one of my favorite stories. And if you've been through Faith Walking, uh, either 301 or Module 6, you, you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich, the Lazarus was laid at the doorstep of the rich man every day, and he could he he couldn't walk, he couldn't move, and the dogs would come lick his sores, and and those those dogs that licked his store his sores were allowed in the rich man's house to eat the crumbs after a banquet. So the tradition of the day was the dogs were let in after a big party to clean everything up. So rather than uh, sweeping all of everything up, the dogs, and, and so the dogs literally got the crumbs. And this woman refers to that same instance. So in that story, the rich man didn't even notice Lazarus, didn't even notice that he wanted the crumbs. This woman's right there confronting Jesus in his face saying, would, you know, at, at least the, even dogs get the crumbs. And then this next part is an addition in the voice translation, and I'm not, I haven't found why they added it, but here's what they say. And, and then Jesus is about to respond to her, Jesus, whose ancestors included Ruth and Rahab, who were non-Jews, spoke with kindness and insight to the woman. And he said to her, 
He didn't even know her name, by the way. Woman, you have great faith. And your request is done. And instantly, her daughter was healed and was healed from then on. Uh, this is one of the rare occasions when I really like the King James translation because the, the King James takes a word that always gets translated healed, but the King James uh, translates it, and, and the young girl was instantly restored to wholeness. My favorite word. <laughs> and there it is in the King James. And so, because, because that's what the, the issue was, she, she was experiencing brokenness, whatever you believe about demon possession or mental illness or whatever, there was brokenness in her life and Jesus restored it to wholeness. It's a fascinating story to me because it seems so out of character with who I, who I know Jesus to be. Uh, for him to reject anyone, for him to just not even pay attention to anyone. And so when, because it's so out of character with who I believe Jesus is, uh, it, it makes me start wondering, okay, why then? What, what's the meaning of it all? Uh, is it just a story? So I, I want to I submit a couple of things to you. So I can't find any way to believe any different except for two options. One option is Jesus really believed his mission was to preach to the Jews first, which obviously it was. That's presented to us in other forms of scripture. And that in this moment, God the Father changed his mind. Okay, in this moment, I, guess what? We're going to do something different. So that's, that's a possibility, I think. I think there's also the possibility, and, and this is not in any of the exegesis of the text, okay? So I'm making this up, but I'm, but I'm trying to think, okay, what, what was the story really about? And I know often Jesus, Jesus was in the business of making disciples and restoring wholeness for people. And it just makes me wonder if the whole thing Jesus didn't do in order to teach the disciples who believed in their minds that the message was only good for Jews alone, that, hey, you know what? It's okay. And, and, and so he, he did that because I can't come up with any other uh, explanation than those two things for why Jesus treated this woman uh, at first the way he did, and then, uh, and then what, what happened. So let me just stop there a minute. I'm not done, okay? So I, I, I want to ask you to give me more time to come back, but I want to see what any of that stirs up for you. I've read that story at least a dozen times, and I never pictured Jesus in that way of calling her a dog. I, I, I just didn't even, I just, I don't even know how I skipped over that, but that really penetrated when I, I heard that the way you were reading it. And I just can't even imagine, except that, I, I don't know, you have to really have tenacity and keep going. And you want him, you want him to, I know he says, you know, if, if you will seek me, seek me first, seek me and persist in seeking me, you will hear from me. Mm -hmm. And I was just reading that this week. And I, th I think that 
I don't know. It's almost like she had to absolutely prove to him that she had faith. Yeah. And that must have been really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, folks, uh, one of the ways I come at these stories is, is, and I, I just want to invite you to try to do this with me is I try to look at the story and, and, and think, okay, what was the context? What was going on? And what would, what would I think if I was observing this story happening? What would I believe about Jesus? So here's what I believe, folks. She had faith that Jesus could heal her daughter. I don't think she had faith beyond that. I don't think she had some kind of preconceived notion of who Jesus was. All she knew was there was this guy who was a Jew who is a healer, and he's come near me in my town, and my daughter needs healing, and I'm going to go ask him to heal my daughter. And, and, and I think that's where her faith was. Courtney, you were about to say something, so dive back in here. I, I, just didn't, I didn't quite follow you um, when you, you had two explanations for why Jesus treated uh, the way that he did. I didn't understand the other one, the second one, about the disciples. Were you trying to say that? Yeah. Yeah, what were you trying to say there? Yeah, thank you for, the, for asking for clarity. So uh, that, that Jesus was putting on a dramatic skit to teach his disciples that the good news and restoring wholeness was not just for the Jews, but it was for everybody. Okay. So, so his first act was, I'm just going to ignore this woman and act like she's not here and see what the disciples do. Well, they come anxiously over-functioning and, and then he talks about feeding, uh, you know, food designed for children to the dogs. Uh, and, and it just makes me wonder, well, was Jesus, did he say that in a way, and did he do that in a way for dramatic effect in order to get the attention of his disciples rather than him actually believing it that way? Um, again, uh, you know, and, and by the way, and we don't know, right? So whatever we decide, and, and it could be something else. I think what, what I'm trying to not do and what I always try not to do, group, is over-spiritualize these stories. So we, can, we could over-spiritualize it. And, and, you know, uh, and by the way, I think a lot of the commentaries do that. They over-spiritualize these, these kinds of stories. I want to get down in the real dirt. Hey, here's a woman that wasn't a Jew. She shows up needing healing, and Jesus says, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not feeding the dogs here. <laughs> and, and that's just startling to me. Trish? Well, the second example that you gave of him perhaps teaching his disciples brings to mind when he um, was sent when Mary and Martha sent for him to heal their brother Lazarus yeah. and his response is equally puzzling because we can't understand yeah. why didn't he just rush back, but he knew he had a greater purpose in mind and to bring God glory in tarrying. And so I guess I'm more inclined to believe the second because he knows what he's ultimately doing and for him to be just um, cold which is how it first appears. Right. I don't think that's him. I think he knows he knows what he's doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I also wonder how much, because <clears throat> as you were talking, um, how much of it, because if the Bible is the word, how much of it is for those of us reading it, you know, a thousand years later too, like we can take something away from it. And so it teaches us faith. Because yeah, I think faith is the overarching um, theme of that mm-hmm. whole inner interchange. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. I do want to reiterate, I, it, sometimes I think we, we give people more faith than they actually had. Because if I, and she may have, and, and I don't want to take anything, but I don't think she, be, I don't, she didn't know everything that you and I know about Jesus. Right. Uh, and I think her faith was pretty simple. I've heard you're a healer. My daughter needs healing. I'm asking you to heal her. Trish, Trisha, uh, we'll go to Trisha first. We're gonna, uh, and then back to you, Brenda. Well, I, my comment is that I, for me, it, and maybe I'm trying to overthink it, but if the disciples' discomfort was because the woman was making a scene and they wanted things to be quiet and they were embarrassed, that's one thing. If their discomfort was because they'd spent so much time with Jesus and his compassion that they felt a compassionate, anxiety that this woman was not being treated that's a whole different ball game because in that case then what you're saying makes sense he's trying to say look i'm going to be strict and just look at the jews and there's this woman over here who is not who is suffering and their compassion is extending toward her and he is in that sense modeling that we can go beyond borders um so for me it depends on sort of figuring out what their discomfort was about Mm -hmm. Um, which we don't know we don't know we don't know we don't know and, and, and so that's why uh, often in scripture, uh, there are multiple takeaways. Uh, yeah. So? Well, I was just going to say that whatever, whatever faith she did have, Jesus honored it because he said, oh, woman, mm-hmm. right is your faith. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. Yep. And, and so what was great about her faith? Well, she believed, she believed that Jesus could heal her daughter enough and she was tenacious with it. She just, she wasn't going to take no, right? I mean, I I can just imagine her, you know, okay. So she's, she's, uh, let's imagine it this way. She's standing out in the, uh, at the front door of your house. She's rung the doorbell and nobody's answering because you know what? We're on vacation. We're closed. And, and she starts yelling, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And she keeps yelling it out on the front doorstep. And, and she yells it enough. A few of the neighbors come outside their house to watch. And, and the disciples are getting more and more uncomfortable because she's standing at the door yelling and Jesus won't go answer the door. He, he's, uh, you know, laying on the couch. Brenda, you had something else to say. The whole faith thing, uh, you know, that I took away from the story from the very beginning, this is a different side of it is I, I think Biblically speaking, and you know, in church, they've always talked about this message being, oh, you have to have this kind of faith, this mm-hmm. kind of faith in healing, this kind of faith in whatever. I think just 
typically this was a mother that was just desperate to see her child heal and mm -hmm. she was she was going to take even the humiliation of being called a dog and not give up if that's what it took to get her daughter yeah. healed Absolutely. And I don't think it was about how much faith she had. I think it was just her persistence of right. love, the love that she had for her daughter. Which, which involved faith in she believed Jesus could heal. Um, my oldest, when she was 12, uh, my oldest has scoliosis. My wife has scoliosis. And so my oldest daughter has scoliosis. And at 12, uh, she had back surgery and they put a rod in her back. Um, Watching her go through that surgery, and especially the, the, the moments immediately after the surgery, and for all of you who have had kids in the hospital or sick or hurting, you know what I'm talking about. When I saw her, I wept because this is my little girl, and, and I would have done anything to get her out of pain. So I can imagine a woman whose daughter had had mental demonic issues for so long, desperate for healing, desperate. And, and I've heard this Jewish healer who's the descendant of King David. I, I've, I've heard about him and, oh my gosh, if he can heal my daughter, please, I beg you, healer. So if I could, let me let me turn the page. And uh, and, and by the way, folks, I, I want to encourage you. Um, I want to encourage you, invite the spirit to to teach you things you've never seen before in Scripture, because I really do believe it's it was real people like you and me living real life like you and I are living it. And. Uh, and in it, God did some powerful things. I'm convinced God's mission is restoring wholeness. And I'm convinced that that's part of this story, that here a, a perceived outsider gets included in the wholeness restoration, because that's what God's about. And we've talked a lot about uh, who, inclusion and exclusion. And uh and, and drawing those lines to find. So also in module six of Faith Walking Foundations and in the old 301, uh, I talk about something that is, is sociological language and it's not original with me, but it's this phrase, the difference between a bounded set and a centered set approach. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me let me say this as simply as I can in the best of my understanding. So bounded set is uh, there are rules for who gets to be an insider and who's an outsider. And the goal of the insiders is to get all the outsiders to become insiders. And about 99% of all of our churches are formed with a bounded set approach. Okay, you've got to do this, this, and this to become a member. You have to do this, this, and this to become a Christian. And you're either in or you're out. And, and you're in one of the two camps. The centered set approach is Jesus is the center. And every person alive is either closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus all at, at the time. So think of a continuum. And Jesus is the center, 
the illustration that was given, um, I, you know, I grew up in the country, but but not this wild country. Uh, the the illustration that was given, imagine an open prairie with cattle running on the open prairie with no fences. But there's a pond in the middle of the prairie. When the cows get thirsty, they come to the pond. Right? Why? Because they need to drink. So I don't need fences and I don't need to go round up the cows because the cows are going to find their way back to the center, which, which, which is the place where they come to drink. And so the idea is, is, that it, uh, is that we need to shift from more of a bounded set approach in our thinking about Christianity and church to more of a centered set approach. And, and so here's the idea. When, when, when the water at the well is good enough, people will keep coming back. That we don't have to beg them. We don't have to force them. We don't have to say, well, you're in and you're out. And that everybody is in this journey of either moving closer toward Jesus or moving further away from Jesus. So there may be some folks that have come drunk at the, at, the, at the well, but now they've drifted away and they're further away from Jesus than, than, than when they came. I think this story is a picture of centered set. So this woman came because Jesus was restoring people to wholeness. She didn't know everything else about him. She didn't know anything about Jewish heritage or uh, and maybe she knew some things but she didn't care she came because she needed healing and i think that when when uh, when we as followers of jesus make the water sweet enough people will come and i think wholeness makes the water sweet and and so in this journey of faith walking what we do is we help people get restored in at least a dimension of their lives to wholeness. And one final thing I want to say, and then we'll have the offering and the invitation. And it, it's this, and I, I borrowed this from Walter Brueggemann, but in this story, it's fascinating that, that Jesus, while on mission, was interrupted. Okay, do you get that? He was interrupted. He intended to do something different. And that while we live missional lives, we need to be prepared to be interrupted also by people in need, by people who want healing, who, by people who want wholeness, and that interruptions are part of the journey. So he was interrupted. But also as his followers, I think this idea is really fascinating. We get interrupted, but we are also the interrupters. We are also the ones who still need healing and wholeness for ourselves. And we are the ones that maybe bring others toward healing and wholeness. Uh, we come into their lives and we interrupt their lives. Really, that's what faith walking does. We come into people's lives and we interrupt their lives. But the interruption is to lead them to wholeness. So just this idea of, of we are interrupted and we are interrupted, and both are true of us. 
for me is pretty powerful. Amen. So, any of that stir up anything new? Well, when I you said it. Yep. Huh? <laughs> Sorry, I'm interrupting again. Um, well, you're an interrupter. <laughs> yes, I, I don't mean to be so much. But when, when you said, you know, be prepared to be interrupted missionally mm -hmm. or while in mission. I remember when I was serving in church in the actual buildings, getting so irritated and irate with people that were interrupting, including my own children, interrupting my mission for God, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, and, and I'm ashamed. I mean, every time I think about it, I know that God's forgiven me, but every time I think about it and it comes up occasionally, I could be washing dishes or whatever I'm doing, or I, I you know, my daughter and I, uh, Amanda, the one, the one that took off a few years ago, I, my husband got the most beautiful message from her last night that just destroyed him to tears, both of mm. us. And, and it was like, she was like, oh, I'm mom. I'm so proud of you guys. I'm so, I wish I had been there and stuck things out. And, and, and I, and I, I, I told her, I said, I'm sorry that I was not paying enough attention. I was too busy being busy for God that I didn't realize that you were hurting. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think about, you know, it's like, ah, uh, you know, I never want to go there again. So, well, along that line of being willing to be interrupted, um, the translation I'm looking at said that the disciples wanted Jesus to send the woman away. Mm -hmm. so they were not encouraging him to go heal her. They said, send her away. And he did not do that. Now we yeah. have a process of what went on in the meantime, but, but ultimately he did not send her away. You know, yeah. so I, um, he, he was inclusive and he was willing to be interrupted. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, yeah. Trish. It just, I don't, this, I'm going to have to sit with this for a while because I feel mm -hmm. very challenged because I get very irritated with interruptions. Mm -hmm. But it's a different way of thinking that, it, that interruptions are really invitations. And um, yeah, that's what I want to remember. Mm -hmm. And not yeah. be they're invitations. Mm. Yeah. Mags. Yeah, it's um I'm just sort of thinking along the lines of this this Canaanite woman. She clearly, as we said before, you know, she just she loved her daughter so much that she needed her daughter to be whole. Mm -hmm. Heard that this this Jew could actually heal yeah and i would imagine that would have taken a lot of courage for her to step out in front of her own community yeah to to approach a jew to say i know you can heal mm -hmm. please heal my my daughter and i thought that would take enough courage but i'm just thinking jesus wanted to use that so he stepped out of of his mission at the time, and he wanted to use that to uh, enforce, and not enforce, but to further enable his own efforts there, because he then challenged her. It was like saying, you want it, how much do you want it? You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to do this for a dog sort of thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, 
And she had the humility to come back and say, even the dogs eats the master's crumbs under the table. So how would that, how would that have looked to her community? So I'm thinking, you know, Jesus was using this in many different ways. One, Mm -hmm. to set an example to his disciples. Two, to set an example to the other uh, Jews and non-Jews that may have been listening to say, Mm this is what humility does for you because he then said to her, you know, your great faith, you know, has caused this to happen. Yeah. Uh, I like that he doesn't define what that faith has to be or look like. He doesn't say your faith in me as the messianic fulfillment of Jewish law (laughs) is now before you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That desperation, Ken, that you talked about. I've been thinking about a friend of mine who's not a Christian. This is a really extreme story to make a point, a very brief story, but who went to the, about 10 miles from us. There's a psychic reader. Faith in something draws people to her on yeah. a weekly, a regular basis, a desperation, a hope for. They don't know faith as we know faith. And I don't think that woman did either. She's not Jewish. She didn't know Old Testament as we would. She didn't know scriptures, but it was that desperation for her daughter that, and he just allows that. Mm-hmm. He accepts that without defining it or categorizing it into anything spiritual or scriptural. That's right. wow to me. Right. I'm just kind of stewing on those sorts of right. things right now. Right. Well, and what that what that stirs up for me, Tammy, is that yeah. He, so he healed her daughter, mm-hmm. and they went their way. Mm-hmm. End of story. Right. He didn't have a come to Jesus moment even. Exactly. Exactly. He didn't then turn around and say, "Well, let me preach you a sermon." Right. No, he just, just healed her. Oh, wow. Because because wholeness was what is is God's design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I folks, for me, getting out of the box of my preconceived notions and imagining new things when I read these stories helps them become really, really fresh. And uh, and and I I've tried to put this story away about five times this week. In fact, I wasn't planning on talking about it this morning. I had something else already prepared that I was going to talk about this morning, and this story wouldn't let me go. (laughs) And so uh, I'm still mulling over it. So hear me. I'm not uh, coming to you saying, oh, I've got this story figured out, and I've got all the answers for what it means. I don't. It, It just seems so out of character of what I believe Jesus was like uh, for him to do and say some of the things that's fascinating to me. And I want to know, okay, and what does it mean for me? So it was included in the, this story was included in the text of scripture. So why? What, what can I learn from it? I always love that Jesus never asked people to talk about doctrinal differences. He just demonstrated the kingdom mm-hmm. and people who were hungry and thirsty were drawn to him. And those 
who mm -hmm. wanted to build up all those barriers, argued and distanced and were critical, etc. And I, I think we see in the Gospels, Jesus healing people from different nationalities, ethnicities right. and faith groups. Right. That's very characteristic. And I, I also love, because I don't come by it naturally, and I don't think we Christians come by it very naturally, or we Westerners do. He seemed to be always winsome in his approach to people that he could set up a situation or kind of, I don't know how to word this, but maybe use the word riff. He would kind of riff on what people offered him. Mm -hmm. But it was so winsome and loving and wise to get to what their heart was. And I, uh, for, for decades now, I've been wrestling with this. How, as a Westerner, do I change my thinking style from going to the doctrine or even the the highly cognitive way mm -hmm. and just shifting all this to the right brain, attachment, storytelling, creativity, invitation. And yeah. it's, it's not easy for us Westerners who are trained in a certain type of Greek thinking. Mm -hmm. But um, I've been asking God that for some decades now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think he's changing me a tiny bit. I, I wouldn't say I'm at all really there, but I just yeah. observe these kinds of things and think, wow, that person who just demonstrated this was so clever and winsome. They were just so unguarded. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wonder if that's what Jesus was also doing, as opposed to Paul's letters. And I think mm -hmm. as Christians, Western Christians, we just sometimes put Paul's letters above Jesus's way. Anyway, that's what mm -hmm. that stirs in me, Ken. Yeah. Thanks Good. for letting me say that. Yeah. So our, our church, our leadership board has been trying to figure out our identity as a church. And we've, we've got a working group going and, and um, we had to come up with some sort of short statement about who we are. And if we had to describe our, our ministry at our church, what would be the one word? And um, the word that people came up with was wholeness. Mm. And um, I went, oh, and you know, there's been a lot of pushback at our church because of various reasons of faith walking. And I said, that's really interesting because that's what faith walking is all about. <laughs> and it also means the shalom of God is, is to be whole. So mm -hmm. anyway, yes. Yeah. And, and we had great discussions about meeting people where they were and not putting them in a box. And how can we be... Um, seeking out what people need and all of this. And I'm like, mm -hmm, yeah, sounds familiar. So but you get a kick out of that. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that, Jan. I have a comment. Yes, ma'am. I, I appreciate that Jesus did, because this is what I hear in my world, that Jesus didn't say, have you cut back on sugar? Have you been exercising? Are you getting eight hours of sleep? Have you been working on stress reduction? Have you had your daughter see someone she could talk to? I appreciate that it didn't go down though, because in my world, that's that's all that's all you read, that's all you hear, the victim blaming. And I appreciate, along with what Deborah said, he took her where she was and dealt with that and didn't do a past thing on all the things that she should have been doing to have not gotten her to where she is. That was refreshing to me. Yeah. So, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and, and, and we haven't even gotten into the to any of the and and by the way, in Middle Eastern culture of that day, she was a woman approaching a group of men uh, and and all of those things. Uh, one of the things, though, that I want to say, group, and and I don't know what to do with this. You know, I mean, that that's the, the one thing that. OK, so this girl got healed. Not all the girls got healed. Not all the boys got healed. And and yet there's something and, and I like to use the language of. So in that moment, the kingdom came for that woman and her daughter. But it didn't just come in the healing. I think in that moment, the kingdom came because she was recognized as a human being and she was accepted and welcomed and, and heard. Uh, and, and that the kingdom comes when we recognize people just as human beings and, and we listen and we hear them because we can't always provide the healing. It, it doesn't seem like to me God heals every time, every person. Uh, and, and I'm yet to figure out, uh, and I don't believe there's a formula to it either, by the way, personally. Anyway, that's one final thought from me. I have one final thought on that, too. And I just want to say amen, Ken. Because mm -hmm. he flipped that narrative that women were not to approach men, especially a religious man, that right. they were impure and they were less than. And right. he constantly demonstrated how welcome women are. And when they approached him, he flipped that narrative mm -hmm. all the time. And, and in essence, kind of made her the hero or heroine of a story. Look, she had so much courage. Look, she persevered. Mm -hmm. And I think that gave him a lot of joy mm -hmm. to flip that story. The yeah. story, the overarching yeah. story, I mean. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, that uh, it's it's almost like what if what if her faith had been smaller? Jesus would have known. What if what if he knew that she had like just like just this much to give? How would how would his response have been different? And like an understanding kind of where she was from being able to kind of to Deborah's point, like like knowing that he could create a like a. Mm -hmm. a heroic sort of story by by engaging with her in this way and because I think I, it speaks a lot to the way that people kind of approach like victim blaming and whatnot and and how you they're trying to be taught in like me too movement stuff like that like how, if you if you come across you know um, a woman or someone being um kind of attacked or whatever how do you handle it and like very much like you don't and how do you how do you sort of make the victim feel empowered by giving them the power back that's kind of been taken rather than I think a lot of times people kind of feel like they need to go be the savior and like and like take care of the person who's who's who is kind of the victimizer, but like to be able to empower sort of the the way that Jesus is able to give power back to the woman almost in like in 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 kind of what Deborah is saying is really interesting. You know, mm -hmm. And like, and knowing that maybe she, knowing that her faith was great and like knowing that he could help it come out and be on display is also, is, is, is really interesting. And mm -hmm. Yeah, is, it is a really, makes it more of a healing story and you start to really kind of think about the, the dynamic of, of Jesus and that in the dynamic of 
um, victim culture and savior culture that sort of, you know, like I'm, I, I'm like, and then male, female dominance, like I have to take care of you and I have to fix you or I have to help you because you're the weaker person and to be like, no, I'm going to show you just how strong this person is. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Courtney. I'm going to call for the benediction. Great conversation, folks. Um, thank you for it. Uh, I love processing these stories with you and uh, with a group of people and just thinking. I, I want to reiterate, this is what I believe. I, I don't believe that there's just one overarching message from this story that everybody's supposed to know and learn. I think there are all sorts of lessons to learn here. And so I, I, I'm trying to just be more inquisitive and more, more open to, okay, what, what if, what is God, what might God want to say to me? So thank you all for having the conversation with me. For more information about Faith Walking, visit www.faithwalking.us. We want to remind you that Faith Walking exists because of your financial support. Please consider giving at faithwalking.us backslash donate. Thank you for listening.